Welcome to the Ralph Moore Podcast. Gain the leadership advantage as Ralph pulls wisdom from his bag of over 50 years experience in planting and leading multiplying churches. Our goal is to help you live as a leader you'd want to follow. You'll learn about making disciples and planting churches, but beyond that, you'll gain practical wisdom about subjects like how to manage your team, handling difficult people, pulling a congregation off a growth plateau, and even money management. Hi, and welcome to the podcast. I'm sitting here with a friend of mine named Sereka Hulagale, who is from Sri Lanka, and yet he serves a network of churches in England. And I just want to say welcome and thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. Thanks, Ralph. It's uh, great to have a chat with you. I want you to tell us just a little bit about the scope of your work. Maybe begin with how you got to the UK in the first place, and then talk to us a little bit about what you're doing, the churches you're planting, uh, the vision that you have for a microchurch. And then if we could talk a little bit about your home church in Sri Lanka, because that has really been inspiration to you and to me, to a lot of people around the world. Okay, so to, to start with... Um... Uh, as you said, I come from Sri Lanka, and even while in Sri Lanka, I was pastoring whilst doing a job, a professional job. I was working for a global pharmaceutical and household company, leading um, their IT department. And um, but yet, I was also pastoring a church in the north of Colombo. One day, our head office asked whether I could be transferred for a period of two years. But our local church, part of the vision was that they would send professionals across into the nations to plant churches. So I was part of that team that was uh, being trained and, you know, vision being cast. And we were just waiting for that moment that the Lord would open for us. So your church in Sri Lanka had probably more vision than most American churches do. Uh, I've been talking to some friends here in Ireland, and I realize that there's a a great migration of people into this part of Ireland for high-tech jobs. And I'm thinking if American churches were to prepare people, uh, we could start with freelance pastors launching churches in other parts of the world. That's Your church was thinking that way a long time ago. Yes, they thought of it a long time ago, because especially also if you use the professional uh, means of getting into a nation, it's much more easier for visa purposes uh, rather than trying to come through a religious visa. But also, you know, when you kind of come on that pathway, your support is already covered by your kind of day job. That's true. You know, we've been sending people into Asia for a long time, but we've always sent them as English teachers. Uh, When you begin to talk about people coming from a professional standpoint, like an IT job or working in a legal department or something like that, the company pays their way there and pays a fine salary and they are granted a visa. It's a wonderful open door. How did you morph from what you were doing with the company into the role that you're in now? So when we came to the UK, within the first year, we took over a church, or even before that, we started a, a, a microchurch in our house. And I guess, you know, once you, once it's almost like our DNA. And then the church started to grow. It came to a point where I was pastoring two churches in two parts of London, plus doing a very demanding job 
where even I would have to fly to different nations in Europe each day, came to a point where I needed to make a choice if I was going to be effective into going even full-time. But that was like almost the last option. And, but I needed to, everything that I needed to do well. So I made that choice to come out. And then from there on, beginning to have a vision for the nation and uh, moving into that. So was there a difficult financial transition as you made that move? We thought it was going to be difficult. But the funny thing is that, you know, God made it possible for us. Definitely, you know, what I earned in a corporate job (laughs) to becoming a local pastor was quite a drop. But yet, the funny thing is even my wife and I, we even speak about it today. We've been doing more things with a lesser salary than when I was working in the corporate field. You know, there are people who are listening to us who are thinking about doing what you did. And some of them are fearful over financial issues. And so I I think a little maybe a little side road here would be to just talk about housing. I mean, you own your own home and you did that on a pastor's salary. Tell, tell us about how the Lord did that for you. Yeah, even for us, you know, the, I, I guess one of the aspects that was scary was the finances. And at that time we had one son. You know, we would even think, wow, we may not be even able to him <laughs> a McDonald's. <laughs> but yet when we were going to make that move, we thought of it in terms of, okay, here's what we're going to have. And therefore, even the house that we would live in, we need to, to be able or be, to afford to pay a mortgage. So, for example, we moved 40 miles out of the city of London, where the housing prices were like one third, simply because that's what we could afford. And there are certain sacrifices you have to make. So it was those little things that have made the difference so that even today, it's not a chokehold on us. So lifestyle changes had to happen. And I was just in London and I was in your neighborhood. And it's probably a lot better to live where you do than to live in the city of London where you used to live. Oh, yeah. You know, once I moved out of London, I didn't want to get go back. It's a slower pace of life. You know, it, it's, a, it's a lovely neighborhood. But also it's comfortable. And, you know, we are now looking at planting. A, we are actually planting a church in our neighborhood as well. So how many churches have you planted since you've been in the UK? Personally, from through our church, six or seven. Six or seven in how many years? Over a period of the last eight years. And in that time, tell us a little bit about how you prepare people to go out and plant a church. Our concept is that it's a lifestyle and you can plant a church anywhere. We try to encourage them and say, look, you don't have to leave your job. You can plant a church while doing a job. It's like, okay, here's the concept that I use. As much as you and I have two unique identities, even the group that I lead will have a unique identity. And therefore, we encourage them to say, hey, what's that identity? What's the context of your local area? And we don't go the traditional way of hiring a building and kind of you know going in the traditional manner we would meet in a coffee shop and what i or what i encourage them when i say is start with a zero budget don't start with a budget that you can't even afford so that you know you do with whatever you have and whatever you can and allow the lord to increase that and that's what's happened that's what's happened that's what's happened tell us a couple of stories okay so for example um we started our 
grew up in London in our home and we grew to about 10. And then uh, we just had a meeting outside and we just hired a hall and that suddenly we, uh, another 17, 20 people got saved. And so I stood up at the end of the service and said, okay, church starts here on Sunday. So that's kind of on one aspect. The other aspect of what we're doing currently is that we are reaching a city with what we call different expressions. So for example, my son would have a group of young people meeting in the local McDonald's. I have another group that I meet and, you know, restaurant. And we will come together regularly for a time of worship. But we do discipleship more around the table in a restaurant or in a cafe. My, the, my, the, the church that I pastor down in London, we have a good problem because uh, we don't have space. So our, our youth, they go across the road to a coffee shop and they take the whole coffee shop. And so it's kind of doing those things. I was there, and I saw the youth, they, they spend money in the coffee shop, and the people are happy to have them there. Yes, yes, and they've kind of you know, got used to us. And then we also minister to them, and there have been more instances where we have prayed for them, seen healings happen, prophetic words. And so they, they, they know us, they see us, and they know it's something different, and they join us. So we're being told that London is the most expensive city in the world, and you're telling me that you're planting churches in the most expensive city in the world with zero budget. And yet I'm meeting people who are struggling with $100,000, $150,000 budget that it's not enough. Uh, what, is, what is the difference? I mean, I, I pretty much know that your philosophy of ministry is much more about relationship and, and less about programming, mm-hmm. uh, less about production quality, those things. Talk to us just a little bit about that. Our main focus is never the Sunday meeting. It's what happens during the week. It's the discipleship. And therefore, even where we, our funding goes to having a meal together rather than hiring a hall that we had to spend huge amounts. And that's just for a couple of hours. London is such an expensive place. We can't even afford to buy a building because you're thinking of millions. But yet, you know, you can always go to a cafe. You can always rent something. Your churches aren't large. They're not huge mm-hmm. like by American standards. But as we face the future in the United States, I came from Hawaii where we were able to plant churches for a whole generation in public schools. Every school now has a church in it. So when we start new churches, we're in a little bit of trouble. But your model where you're not paying a pastor or maybe you're paying him very little because he has a, a salary and you're not necessarily needing a large facility because you do hire some halls but you're able to use a, a smaller place yeah. because you're not you're not trying to build churches of thousands of people is yeah. that right that's right because what we are my our thinking is that if we want to reach a city we are, there are two options one is we have one location but that will not cover the entire city but if we have multi locations in smaller groups we're going to reach out and we're going to touch people of different walks of life. And that's our focus. Talk to us about the different walks of life. I've been with your churches, and I know that one of the aspects of what you do is you're reaching Africans who have their immigrants to to London, but some of those people are reaching white Brits as well. That's really wonderful and exciting. How how did you guys get into doing that, and then how's it going? Yeah, so it takes years of casting vision and sharing stories and also I'm a firm believer that I first have to experience it so that I can then demonstrate it so that even reaching out to not just even 
Africans, you know, we have South Americans where we teach them, look, go beyond your own culture, you know, cross over the culture that you come from. You know, I come from a Sri Lankan culture, but the very first church that I took over was a totally white Anglo church. So I had to learn what it was to minister beyond my own culture. I've also been involved in bringing reconciliation between warring factors, and I've had to learn how to cross over that boundary. So I think that's one of the key things that we teach them, is that go beyond your culture and be open to the culture that you're reaching out to. So what I'm hearing you say is that what would be seen as a liability, many people who might be listening to this, that the church doesn't have money, doesn't own a property, it doesn't pay a pastor a salary. And I know from experience that you folks are raising up leadership from within the church. So mm-hmm. trained by disciple making, didn't yeah. get to go to seminary. Yeah. And all that has actually become the asset that's allowed you the flexibility to reach into different people groups in in this polyglot called London. That's very, very exciting. I met one couple, Paul and Fran, that they mm-hmm. do a, a, a small church and yet they're reaching, what, Chinese students? Chinese and uh, Iranian students. Um, so that, again, that's that uniqueness that, you know, for them, I specifically say don't try to, you know, copycat someone else. Be who you So they reach out to Chinese and um, Iranians. And they, the way they run church is around the food table because that's what re- uh, reaches out to those cultures. That's really exciting. I was actually at their house and... I think she has two or three refrigerators in the house and a monster table. And this lady just cooks for, but, but they're evangelizing people and sending them back into China as missionaries. That's an exciting thing. Exactly. Talk to us a little bit about your spiritual roots, where you came from, the, the church that you came from. I know that the, the pastor, the lead pastor was a failure in the beginning. And then God began to do supernatural things and the church grew. Uh, there's quite a bit of Buddhism, quite mm-hmm. a bit of Hinduism, quite a bit of Spiritism in Sri Lanka that had to be overcome. But then the model, which is really the model that you're now following, and, and how that birthed you and birthed the movement that you're involved with. Yeah, so the church I come from was so open to the supernatural and uh, prayer. That was key. And coming from a nation where you have so much of spirituality, Christianity had to not just be something that you spoke about, you had to walk and you had to demonstrate the power. And so that led to people being healed, uh, people being delivered, and then others coming to know Christ through that. But yet in the city, there were the bigger churches where buildings were higher. But as you go into the interiors, as you go into the villages, you cannot hire buildings because there's an anti-Christian sentiment. So the model that was used was a house church movement and literally the pastor's house was the church and each pastor would uh, shepherd at least four congregations and then raise up others to do the same. A story that I have is that I got saved in another church but when I came into this particular church within two weeks my senior pastor called me up and said there's a church can you please go and take it over. Wow. (laughs) And I was like but we are only here two weeks. He said, yes, I know. But there's a church that you need to take over. So, you know, those are the stories that it's it's basically New Testament. It's a book of Acts. See, when you say that, it's basically New Testament, the book of Acts. 
I'm sitting here thinking there are people listening to this who are thinking right now that what you just said is irresponsible, that you've been in the church only two weeks, they don't know you, and they're going to quote the scripture that says, lay hands suddenly on no man. And my mind immediately goes to Acts chapter 14, where Paul is is stoned and left for dead, and then he sneaks back into the cities where they've been, where he's been very, very short time, and appoints elders from among the disciples, which means exactly what happened to you happened to these people suddenly they find themselves a pastor who couldn't have a salary had no formal education and so the thing that many americans would call irresponsible really is the new testament exactly and you know it's living out your walk with jesus you know uh, my my basic education was not a degree in theology you know it was only in the later years that the masters in theology but my degree was in computer science, uh, and yet I was pastoring a church. You know, like just last weekend, you know, Ralph, we were there in the conversation, and we were encouraging two young girls. One is like 18 years old to start a church. Yeah. And, you know, to me, it's like, a, you know, you each generation has to reach that. You know. If not, what happens is we wait till people are of a certain age to train them into leadership, and we lose generations before. So one of the things I'm doing even right now is I'm, I've started training kids as young as 10 and 11 to move in, this, in the gifts to, and into leadership so that by the time you know, they're 16, 17, 18, they are ready, they're church planters, they are ready, they're full on fire for the Lord. You know, again, speaking to that whole idea of the it's irresponsible, these people, when they turn to be 16, 17, 18, are going to reach people who are 16, 17, 18. And it's not like somebody's handed them a church of 3,500 people and said, go lead this thing. No. It's something that the Holy Spirit builds around this individual. And we were talking a little bit earlier today, you and I, about how the, the gifts of the Spirit are given to the body of Christ, not to some professional or some person with hot hands or whatever. But as people move into prayer and begin to care for each other, it just becomes natural that some of them are going to show themselves to have pastoral gifts, and they're the ones that our church will be built around and and others won't. Thank you so much. As we close here today, I'm going to ask you a kind of a strange question. I have no idea. You know, a lot of what we've talked about, I pretty much know your answers are going to be, but were there difficulties that arose in the church in Colombo, the big church, because it's they've started over 2,000 churches. Did they have heretics? Did they have people who went astray? Were there disasters because of their method of bringing people into ministry? In any church, you have issues of people, you know, backsliding or, you know, people going astray. But I would say 98, 99% was a success story. But the key is that the pastor, I was my senior pastor, would take us with him. And so that's that was part of his training, not just a classroom, but practically he would take us together with him. And then he would step back and say, okay, now you do it. And here's another thing. It was a lifestyle. So you you walk into church on a Sunday. He's done this to me. He, he walked up to me and said, oh, by the way, you're preaching today. Goodness. <laughs> and so we were trained to be ready at any time. So if you hadn't been in the Word on your own that week, you're going to be very That's much it. embarrassed. You're in, you're in trouble. <laughs> well, thanks for taking the time to be with us. And uh, boy, your life has been an example to me and to the, some of the young guys that I point in your direction. And I think it's going to be a blessing to these others. Oh, thanks, Ralph. Thank you very much. 
If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and check his blog at ralphmoore.net.